Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man Podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have NBA legend, OG, Charles Oakley. His new book, The Last Enforcer, outrageous stories from the life and times of one of the NBA's fiercest competitors is out right now. Coming up, I talked to Charles Oakley about supporting HBCUs, tension with James Dolan, and the current NBA star who reminds him of himself. Up next, Charles Oakley. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man Podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Download the podcast, leave a five-star rating, tell a friend to tell a friend. Like Goody Mob said, get this good old-fashioned soul food. What's been your favorite last call? Who's done the best with Gone in 60 Seconds? It's important to create quality content to me. We do these shows like books. And everyone has a chapter. And it's really important to convey a message each week. And this week's theme is enforcement. I'm talking about being the one who steps in to make sure Things are as they should be. There's so many situations in life where we as people observe things and think to ourselves, that's not right, but it's none of my business. We see things like harassment, racism, sexism, homophobia, bullying, and we say to ourselves, That's not our fight to fight. But as human beings, we know in our hearts what the right thing is. And when we know, we have to act on it. When we see something, say something. You heard the rules. When you see something, say something. When someone is being harmed, do something. Even something as small as um, using your privilege and leveraging your platform so that someone else who rarely gets hurt gets a chance to speak on something that's extremely important. In cases just like that one, you're actually the enforcer. And what you're enforcing is equality. MLK, Martin Luther King Jr. once said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands, in moment of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. In your everyday life, I challenge you not to back down, but be the enforcer of the values you hold true to yourself and to others. My next guest knows all about that. Charles Oakley is both the fighter and the nicest guy you'll ever meet. In his new book, The Last Enforcer, outrageous stories from the life and times 
of one of the NBA's fiercest competitors is out right now. Coming up, I talked to Charles Oakley about throwing hands on the court, throwing down in the kitchen, and being seen as a New York sports icon. Up next, the OG, Charles Oakley. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man Podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Shortly, we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. <laughs> My next guest is the ultimate OG, NBA legend Charles Oakley, one of the greatest rebounders that the game has seen, one of the most fiercest competitors, yet one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet and in his new book the last enforcer you're going to get another chance to get to know the big fella outrageous stories from the life and times of one of the nba's fiercest competitors out right now it is my honor og to welcome you to the show charles oakley to the renaissance man thank you appreciate it glad to be on the show Thank, Thank you for you. joining me, family. And as you know, I know your history and your lineage and your story, but I want to introduce you to the Renaissance Man audience who probably doesn't know that you grew up in Cleveland. And yes. what was it like for you growing up in Cleveland? And when did you discover your love for the game? Uh, you know, my story growing up in Cleveland, basically like every childhood, you have a story of when you're small, everybody always throw you a basketball <laughs> and you don't know what to do with it. But, uh, but growing up in Cleveland, it was a lot. Uh, you know, uh, I had to walk to school, or catch two buses. Uh, you've seen a lot on the streets, corners, guys doing things. Uh, you know, it just, it's just the inner city. You see that. You got the liquor stores. You got the, the grocery store. You got the hustles. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I've seen all of that. But uh, I made it to school, though. That's the most important thing. So as somebody Midwest born and bred like yourself, can you give everybody a snapshot of what that looks like for a high school Charles Oakley who wakes up in the morning and has all of these distractions before he needs to get to school and then all before he starts to play sports? So what did, what, what did your landscape look like? I was the second to the youngest, but my uh, sisters, two of my sisters went to school at the same time. So the school I'm talking about is John Hay High School. Uh, it was, you know, 105 and superior. Uh, it was live. It was, it was like being in Vegas back in my era, going to school in um, early, late 70s, early 80s in high school. It was a play. It was a guy named Winston had the whole block. He had after hour joint. He had club. He had this. He had that. But at the end of the block, it was a McDonald's, and that's what we all got together. At. Before we went to, you know, like get to school early, McDonald's across the street. For lunchtime, we would come back there. But uh, it was it was tough. Uh, it was, I could have got sidetracked a lot of times, but uh, like a lot of my other friends did. But I, some type of way, I made it to school and uh, stayed in school, and uh, I got out of school and I went from there. But it was it was tough growing up in Cleveland because uh, the streets was definitely it was jumping. And those streets again. Make sure you check out his book, The Last Enforcer, outrageous stories from the life and times of one of the NBA's fiercest competitors. 
Those are words that are always used to describe you. Enforcer, competitor, fierce. Who were some of your biggest influences growing up? Well, uh, number one was my grandfather. You know, he was the man who did it. Um, growing up, it just happened. Uh, you know, my family, they trying to get out, mother was hustling, working two jobs. And, you know, I was the kid that, you know, tried to always make it back home before it got dark. And it's, I used to go to the pool hall, the barber shops, and hang out. But stayed away from trouble. But a lot of my friends I grew up with got in trouble. It was like it was bad growing up because a lot of my guys turned to drugs in junior high, didn't make it to high school. Uh, but I, I found I, some type of way. I... When did you start to take basketball serious? It was it was tough, Jay. You know. And, and to this day, I still see my, I just left Cleveland. I see a lot of the guys, um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, don't go back to the hood, this and that. But that's, I mean, I ha- haven't had a problem, you know, knock on wood, you know, things and came up, but no serious problem going back home and, you know, and visit family and friends. Uh, so it was, you know, I made it out. A lot of guys didn't. And a lot of my guys, I just seen, last few years coming home for doing 20, 25 years mm. in jail. Mm. Yeah, it was so. And that lifestyle that you're describing, like seeing people in your neighborhood being in and out of the jail, going to the pool hall, all of the distractions. When did you decide basketball was going to be my way out? Um, well, you know, Jay and I played football too. Uh, I was pretty good in football and basketball. But, but when I got to... My senior year, I made a decision uh, before I went to Virginia Union. I said, I'm going to play, I'm going to stick with basketball and leave football alone. I had scholarships in football, but but when I got to Virginia Union, they wanted me to play both, but I just stuck with basketball. So I went on down there for four years. I came home one time in four years. That's how bad it was. You know, I didn't, you know, people, they, they didn't know where I was at, but I, I didn't, you know, when I came back the, the next time, I was in the NBA. So, I, I ducked a lot. I ducked a lot. And you mentioned it. You attended the historically black university, Virginia Union in Richmond. Yes. Where in 1985, yes. you were named Division II Player of the Year. In mm-hmm. October, the NBA also announced this year in your hometown of Cleveland, yes. they're going to be doing HBCU basketball games. Right. Do you feel there should be more done to support HBCU athletics and how do you feel about the NBA trying to show support this year at the All-Star Weekend? Well, I think that, you know, from the George Floyd thing to a lot of stuff going on, it's a push for, you know, the, for black people overall because they're getting a chance to voice their opinion more, chance to get more business-minded, chance to live a better life. Uh, so what the NBA doing is a great thing. I think Chris Paul doing a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Involving with the history of black college, I think it's great because why would the school, like I said, most of the schools they have a lot of state funds. So not few black schools closed down during my era, but it's good to see that it's a reboot to the kids in history. The opportunity that can say and that's the most important thing now is growth. Absolutely. And as somebody that attended U of M, as you just mentioned, 
Can you tell somebody like me or even a high school student what they get when they go to a HBCU? And what did I miss? Because I used to always be jealous of what I saw, the great bands, the great parties, the great like celebration of our people. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like home away from home because, you know, they're not big schools. I think the biggest, you know, probably FAMU, a uh, few other schools may have 10, 12,000. Most of the history of black schools got maybe anywhere from 1,500 to 4,000. So it's not a big campus. So basically everybody's in everything together, all the fraternity, all the, you know, the locals. And the, the most important thing, uh, everybody always talking about homecoming. It's like a Super Bowl, mm. homecoming. All the older family, all the older people went to school, all come back and join for that one big day, football team. You always try to play somebody you're going to beat at homecoming. You don't want to lose your homecoming. <laughs> right. You don't want to lose your homecoming. But you can just see. I've been going back since day one uh, as I left. And it's just see the people, you know, they come up to you. They show you love. But just people just have fun. It's like a getaway. It's like going to the Kings Island amusement park or something. Because they all come and have fun. And everybody just enjoy one another. Just, you know, all the step shows. And everybody just show a lot of love. You played 19 seasons, big fella, in the NBA. And I was fortunate enough to play a short period of time with you with the Bulls. But you right. started with the Bulls. You ended with the Rockets. But you right. spent 10 years with the New York Knicks. And you're considered right. one of the most beloved athletes in New York sports. Can you mm -hmm. tell me one of your favorite playing memories with the Knicks in 1994. I picked that year because you had 107 starts that season. Right. That was, hey, Jay, that was everything happened that year. 107 starts. I played more games with the playoff and regular season than anybody. I was an all star. I went to the NBA Finals. I can never forget that 94. Uh, we lost to Houston, but. Being in New York for 10 years, I mean, it's, I, get, I got to meet so many people, entertainers, professionals, on, you know, just everybody. It's just, it, there was, the, gold, there was the, the golden years, the 90s. Everybody was talking about the 80s and New York in the 90s. Oh, man, it was incredible. I had so much fun. Only thing I hate didn't happen was we, won, we, we didn't win a championship. We didn't give people what they really want. That's your favorite line, the OJ. Yeah. Give people what they want. Yeah. Won a championship. I feel sorry. I couldn't be a part of a championship team in New York. And with that authenticity, the people gravitate you because you earn their respect by the way you perform on the floor, but by the way you carry yourself off of it. One of my least favorite NBA moments is watching you be harassed by New York Knicks security and ushered mm -hmm. out of the building because their yeah. owner, James Dolan, asked them to do so. Talk right. me through how your relationship got to the point with him that he doesn't want you at Madison Square Garden. Well, well one, I don't really know him because when I played there for my 10 years, with his dad, he made the transition, took over from his dad. But his thing with me, I, I comments in the paper many times, 
that someone asked me a question about the Knicks. How many games you think they're gonna win? Da da da, this and that. And I'm a straight up guy. I mean, I'm looking at what they got. I mean, if they gonna win 41 out of 80, 82, I'm gonna set it. They gonna win 25 out of 82, I'm gonna set it. He don't like that from me. But everybody, you know, on TV saying it, on commentator, I mean, I didn't play under him, play on his dad, but he just, I guess my comments got to him, but he shouldn't have took him personally. It's about, it's a story. If somebody asked me a question, I gave my answer. So I got a story about him. So one day, All-Star 2014 in New Orleans, but he went World West in, in uh, Harris Casino. I'm with LeBron, Mad Rich, the whole Cleveland crew. We out there. So West come from in the back and, talk, you know, come and holler at us. Some, they had some, some was going on. So Rich Paul don't speak to West at all. Matt, you know, LeBron, Bethesda, Matt. And I found out why he didn't speak to him anyway. He come out, oh, I'm back here with the owner. I said, who? He said, the owner of the Knicks. I said, I never met him. He said, okay, let's go in the back. So I walk in the back with my guy, Jacob, and we come back there. So uh, Wes, uh, uh, Mr. Lillard, Mr. Oakley, and I said, how you? I put my hand out. He don't even turn around and shake my hand. Oh. I mean, like, I started hitting him in his head, being real. I'm going to be real with you. So I said, man, this is some BS. So I go back out there, and I tell the crew, like, he said, no, really? I said, don't worry about that. We ain't going to New York anyway. So I wasn't going to let him mess my weekend up. But but I just, I guess he's just a real big controlling guy. So if you don't dance to his music, he's going to put you at the party. Well said. And as you have earned the respect of New Yorkers to the point where people believe you're from New York. I know I'll have to tell you this. Like you, <laughs> you put on so much for the city yeah. and having businesses and spending time. Yeah. People think you're from New York. So I have to ask you, Julius Randle recently was playing poorly and the team was, right. and right. he did the thumbs down signal after he right. made a basket to the fans mm -hmm. as uh, 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 out of spite because they were booing him. What is your advice for playing in New York for an athlete like Julius Randle? Number one, that's the wrong type of city to, I mean, especially in a game that someone paid their money to see you play and you give them the thumb up or down, unless you talk to, a, you know, one person that we don't know what you're talking about. I think it was in the heat of battle. These guys is young. They don't understand these cities. Uh, I, you know, I just wish he wouldn't have never done that because some city like New York, I don't think they're gonna never forgive him because he's not playing well this year. The team is the 500 team, and the, the fans expect more because last year they was, you know, they was a four seed. Now they were a, a play-in team, so they ready for you to do this thumb down. Do it to the other team on on other on the end of the bench, not your home team because. The home team, they gonna come and, and they gonna do what they want. Fans do what they want to do. And mm -hmm. when you're paying that much attention to, to the fans, I mean, you're not on your game. You don't get involved with the fans because if you can't control the fans. You control what happened with the hardwood. So I, mm -hmm. I just hope, he, you know, they forgive him, but it ain't gonna be easy. Maybe they get the second round of playoffs or something, but uh, you know, get bounce back and Second half of the season, have a better better half than first half, and the team can do better. But you don't play with New York fans or Philly fans at all. Agreed. And as you talk about the fans in New York and how LeBron may have considered at one point but didn't end up coming to New York, what do you think about the Lakers' season 
and LeBron, the way he's playing at an MVP caliber level, but they're under 500. Do you feel like he's going to win another championship with the Lakers? Um, that's a big question. And and the way they're playing, it don't look like they're going to make the playoff. Uh, I know what LeBron going through, what Jordan went through his first five or six years in the league, trying to build a team to win a championship. And he's he's the main guy who can build a team. And he's struggling doing that because the pieces, he he's hoping they work, and he's trying to make they work. He's try, always a team first guy, nobody on the bus. He gonna, he gonna stick with what he got. Hopefully they can make a trade or not. He gonna play with it to the end of the season. Then next year they make adjustments. But right now, I mean, they got a lot of talent, but it's old talent. You know, they got player ball talent. You know what I'm saying? The new school, they say, they say it's a new space now. It's a new, all the young guys say it's our turn. So I just hope, you know, like I said, for his sake, he won another ring. That's why he's still playing. He's not playing, I don't think because of money. He got all the money. The first black, I mean, the first big year ever played while he still, the first black NBA big year to play while he still playing in the league to make that kind of money. But uh, he planned to win a championship. Um, I just wish AD would come back and play like the AD did when they won the championship. Uh, Westbrook adjusts his game to what they really need him to do. So they got some things to figure out, not just, uh, you know, playing now for the play-in. Now, you got LeBron James, you won't play for the top two, three seed and win the championship. So you're from Cleveland. So of course yeah. you're going to rep your boy LeBron to the fullest. You play yep. with MJ. You're basically yep. his bodyguard and enforcer as we all right. see it. Who's the GOAT, Oak? I got to tell him all the time. It's cornflakes and frosted flakes. It's MJ, <laughs> then LeBron. You know, one got the sugar, one got the flakes. But, uh, Hey, two different guys. I mean, sometimes I really, I really match LeBron up with Magic and match Kobe up with MJ. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But like everybody want to go because LeBron did so much longevity. You know, 18 years in the league. You know, not really no big injury or anything. And playing at a high level, nobody never done this before. So MJ had his time when he came to Washington the last two years, but. He didn't play like with LeBron doing, but it's they getting the same resort like a five hundred team, and that, and I think LeBron he's not a plan to be five hundred. He want to win another ring. Mm -hmm. So, oh, can you tell me one of your favorite stories of being teammates in Chicago with Michael Jordan? Favorite story? I mean, my first three years with Mike. He took me on his wings, and um. Uh, you know, he took me to the All-Star game my rookie year, and we just had so much fun. And that was the first time, you know, um, you know, in, in, into the NBA, expected to be going to the All-Star game with a guy like Michael Jordan. But um, a good story, I mean, just uh, so me and Michael used to catch the, um, you know, we on the way back then, we'd get dropped off at the airport. We'd have a place like private plane. It was reckless flights. So we was one day was going to the airport, me and him, and I was riding with him. And so it could be doing 100, 150, whatever. He he just get in the car, hit the gas. <laughs> so we was going to the airport. And um we was uh he had one of them vets here in Chicago uh uh four vets ten blazers. Vet. 
So it was like, you know, one day trip come back. So we was in the car going to the airport, this and that. I said, MJ, they go to police. So we we doing about 90 already. He he hit it about 120, 150, and the car came behind us. Next thing I know, I guess they call ahead, and it was like five cops just waiting on him. MJ went past them. So when he was on it, they like, where you going? He said, I got a fight to catch. Oh, you Michael Jordan. All right, go ahead, slow down, okay? <laughs> it was just crazy. Me and Spears that, this is his second year, my first year. I'm like, damn, you got you to get that kind of pull? He said, I'm in Jay. <laughs> so it was just wow. like, he just, he liked fast, he liked, you know, he liked to drive fast, he liked fast cars. So uh, I'm, you know, just, it was just a great for me just being in the car with him, but you know, he do drive fast. <laughs> now that's hilarious. And, and for those that don't know, as I mentioned, you're an NBA legend and a man of many talents, including cooking. And I've been telling people for years that you need a cooking show. And now you yes. have one. Chopping yes. it up with Charles Oakley premieres this fall on Fox yep. Soul. and features you showing off your culinary skills and breaking bread with guests like T.I. Yes. and Scotty Pippen. Where did your love from cooking come from? And what have been your favorite moments of the show so far? Uh, my love from cooking coming from, you know, my grandmother, my mother, and my aunts all the great cook. But I'm, you know I'm a picky eater, so my thing, for you to be picky about food, you better learn and understand food. So that, that's what I did. But uh, over the years, like guys were like, oh, let me order first, then you order. Because I want to get my order in first because we know we're going to take you all day to order. So what the show is, it was a great thing. With Terrence, you know, your homeboy, he's from Flint. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came to me. We had, we had shot a scissor reel about five years before. And we were just holding it. He said, one day, oh man, this is gonna be the number one cooking show out. So basically, you know, Lisa Ray and all them people, it was during the pandemic, right after Dance with the Stars. And I got a chance to shoot in LA and Atlanta. So Scotty, Lisa Ray, T.I., Jim Jackson, uh, Emma from Dance with the Stars, everybody said yes. A lot of people said no because the virus was, you know, you know, it was out here. Mm-hmm. So I was gl- fortunate to get 10 to 12 uh different shows during the pandemic so it was it came out great uh it was fun shooting because the thing was every celebrity had to cook your favorite meal and that was the challenge and i you know not just cooking what i cook all the time so i'm cooking a celebrity favorite meal it was i had a ball and i can't wait for season two to come out so oh that means you're exquisite with your hands in multiple ways Anybody that can hear me right now can Google Charles Oakley fights. So usually <laughs> a guy that has great culinary skills isn't the one that throws the best hands. So I have to ask you as a man of many talents, what right. are some of your more memorable, I guess, skirmishes in the NBA? Uh, I mean, you try not to get into them, but you got to protect yourself. Uh, never try to be a bully. Just try to be an enforcer that, Enforcing me, not you know, a copy, you know, making sure every you know, I try to make sure everything is right, everybody's cool. That's my enforcement. But uh, I can probably say I got into it, you know, older thought. You know, he bowled me one time and he looked at me, he bowled me again, you know, threw a few punches. Uh, not really, NBA, you know, they try to get to it for get out of hand. So I think Paul McKessie from Milwaukee. 
He bowled me one time in the mouth. Of, you, you know when somebody playing a little dirty. And, you know, I could take one. But I ain't taking two in the same game. You know, you get me one. So basically every time, if I got two up with somebody, it's the second time. I let the first one go. Mm-hmm. Now, I ain't going three times. I'm going twice. But, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was good, man. You know, when I came in the league, you had to protect yourself. So the early 80s and late, late 80s, you had to be able to use your hand. You know, that's why Barkley never got in a fight because he couldn't use his hand. <laughs> <laughs> you used him against my Detroit Pistons. Got Doug yeah, Collins bro. all into the fight. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah. Recall? Can you recall yeah. what happened that, that, that day? Well, I guess it was a foul call, and one thing led to another. Rick Mahorn, Rick Mahorn come, and Doug Collins tried to jump on. You know, the bitch cleared, and that's that was one of the biggest things, probably. You know. In my first few years to see that the whole two teams that going at it, but it was a lot of tension, you know. Uh, I think the Bulls was, the, you know, Detroit was standing away, and the Bulls were trying to take over Detroit. But I got traded before it got a little more physical. But it was like that in the league. Teams, teams were fights. The team didn't, teams didn't get along because everybody was trying to win and get to the playoff and go to the championship. So you can understand why it was a lot of little. T- it was a lot of tension. So. I mean, it didn't get real bad, but it was some tension out there. And guys let you know sometimes. We got to go now. Wait till you got to the locker room, to the bus. Go now. Yes, absolutely. We're going to handle this right now. We ain't passing go. (laughs) (laughs) And and lastly, and again, I appreciate you joining me. I'm going to also write a column about this interview and before yeah. I get to our Gone in 60 Seconds rapid fire, I have to ask you again, the, the memoir, Last Enforcer, outrageous yes. stories from the life and times of one of the NBA's fiercest competitors is out right now. And it features a forward by the GOAT, Michael Jordan. Wow. And details about his life, details about your life in the paint and beyond. But I have to ask you, what's the biggest thing you hope readers <laughs> take from your book? The biggest thing I um, hope readers take from the book is the consistency in that me as you, you saw me in 85 to I retired until now, my production off the court, helping people give it back, the consistency of just being a, a guy who true to the true to life, guy who can be true to to uh people in the world today just you know just like this book is like bringing you home make you it make you want to go to church and make you want to be more involved with your family this book and just show you how i defend so many people i've been around because i've always been the the big brother i looked out for a lot of people you know when you came to chicago for the few months what i did invite you over cook for you make sure you're okay Mm -hmm. i got the people out here make sure you're okay so Just so I'm just a genuine guy, just like you know, I like to see people smile, I like to see people happy. When they read this book, they can be real happy. I love that. I love that. And you deserve it, big fella. 19 Thanks. years in the it. league, putting yeah. on wherever you go. I appreciate your influence in my life. So I want to thank you. But before I let you, you get out of here, I got a rapid fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. You ready to do this? Okay. Yeah. You coached the killer threes in the big three, a three on three basketball league founded by the OG Ice Cube. Name one retired player you love to draft. 
Retired player, love the draft. Woo! Uh, Jamal Crawford. Great guess. That's exactly where I was going to go. You've been paying attention. You've been paying no, no. attention. You out there like a GM. I see you. Yeah. What's name one guess you love to have it on chopping it up with Charles Oakley? And what dish would you make him? Uh, Queen Latifah. I would make her some um, Russell sprouts and carrots. You hear that, Queen? Gotta get you <laughs> like on chopping it up with Oak. We're gonna try to make that happen. And then, as I mentioned, the NBA All Star Game is in your hometown. The fans yes. are gonna be flying in from near and far. What's yes. the one food spot everybody gotta hit in Cleveland? Woo! Wow. They probably gonna go to Blue Point. Blue Point, uh, uh Grill 55. Real 55. Real 55. And what's the spot yeah. you take me to downtown also? Uh, they uh, they closed now. They oh, they closed? closed? Oh, yeah. man. I love going to that spot. Yep. Uh, yep, my guy closed. Yep. Oh, man. Before I let you get out of here, one more question. Name one no current NBA player whose game reminds you of yours. I'm happy to give it to your hometown guy. I mean, he's he's a more, little better ball handling me, Draymond. I'm gonna give it to Draymond. I, I don't see nobody else. He he, he running the lead right now. I like I like what he's doing. Keep doing it, Draymond. Absolutely. <laughs> That's why I voted him as a starter in the All Star game over Rudy yes. Gobert. I appreciate oh, yeah. you taking the time, family. You're doing big things as always. Looking forward to breaking bread soon. A lot of love. Last call. Last, Last call. call. I sincerely want to thank Charles Oakley for stopping by the podcast. Be sure to check out his book in stores right now. The Last Enforcer. Outrageous stories from the life and times of one of the NBA's fiercest competitors. I know this firsthand. I played against him. And I play with them. And by the way, it's officially Black History Month. But Black History Month is a constant that is happening every single day. Black people are continuously creating, breaking barriers and records, reinventing the way we see and do things. We are American culture with or without support. But to celebrate Black History Month, let's celebrate and support Black businesses and creators. Donate to your local HBCU. And let's continue to binge watch a couple of my favorite shows like Abbott Elementary and Kings of Napa so that they can have many more seasons. Kind of like Blackish. Black history is history. Point blank period. And I'm so honored that this show is a part of it. I'm the Renaissance Man. I'll see you next week.